It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! This week, starring special guest Mr. Henry Winkle. <laughs> Look, Henry's smiling. <laughs> no? Um, can... Yeah, that was, that, that, that was a rare event. <laughs> the stoic Henry Winkle. How are you, Henry? Good to see you. I'm doing, I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Let me get the chat room open. Hello, everybody in the chat. Uh, there they are. All right. So uh, this episode, for those of you who read the letter, you already know what it's about. But I'm going to read uh, the letter that Henry sent me, I don't know, 10 days ago, two weeks ago or something. You can't hear Henry. Whoa. At all? Guys, are you saying you can't hear Henry at all? Barely. Okay, you're going to have to bring up uh, your audio. Yeah, we were trying to deal with this before. <laughs> Somebody said Ken Mesford said he's not talking. All right, yeah, yeah bring up... Yeah, I was going to say that too, but yeah, I'll, I'll bring. All right, it some people are saying I can hear him. Some people are saying I can only hear him a little. Okay, so are we? Do we have consensus now? Uh, we can hear him decently. Hello, hello. <laughs> I brought the audio up. All right, good. I'm waiting to see the chat room says yep. Okay, we're good. All right. So Henry sent me a letter. I'm going to read the letter because I'm guessing not everybody who will ever see this episode um, has seen the letter yet because maybe they didn't open the email, if you can imagine that. Um, all right. And this was from July 14th. So it was a, a bit ago, like three weeks ago. Hi, Michael. I thought you might be interested in a pre-taxi, post-taxi comparison. Before joining Taxi in November 2013, uh, I had... Uh, TV channels featuring my music, none. TV shows featuring my music, none. Countries appearing on my royalty checks, none. Whoops, let me uh, kill my email so we don't hear that ding-dong anymore. Okay, that's done. Um, royalty checks, none. Contracts signed with production music libraries, none. Genres composed, jazz fusion, classical, solo piano, uh, new age, blues, and boogie-woogie. After joining Taxi in November of 2013, um, TV channels featuring my music, CBS, MTV, CNBC, CNN, BET, Animal Planet, OWN, and Vice. TV shows featuring my music, CBS Sports Promos, The Young and the Restless, American Greed, Catfish, Siesta Key, The Challenge, X on the Beach, Tyler Perry's Sisters, Amanda to the Rescue, Families of the Mafia, Honoring Our Kings, United Shades of America, Vice News Tonight, and RIP Files. Countries appearing on my royalty checks, USA, Canada, Denmark, France, UK, Czech Republic, Germany, Malaysia, Netherlands, Australia, Brazil, Mexico, Dominican Republic, Finland, Latvia, Romania, Hungary, wow, all over the place. Uh, royalty checks every quarter since the first quarter of 2018 which was five years after he joined taxi contracts signed with production music libraries 12 
Uh, genres composed now, uh, classical, solo piano, new age, lounge jazz, smooth jazz, classical jazz, or classic jazz, CSI tension, horror, sci-fi, technology, uh, epic action orchestral hybrid, that's a mouthful, comedy, uh, comedy country, dramedy, EDM chill, Christmas, public domain, blues, and children's music. Genres that receive placements on TV shows, lounge jazz, smooth jazz, classic jazz, CSI tension, horror, technology, epic action, orchestral hybrid, uh, comedy country, dramedy, EDM chill, and Christmas public domain. So, what was I wrong about? Sorry for that page turn. Uh, in either my first or second appearance on Taxi TV, I suggested that the best way to ensure success was to find a niche or genre and focus on that niche. Clearly, if I'd followed my own advice, I wouldn't receive the number of placements I did. Conclusion, don't follow my advice. <laughs> so how much, above, how much of all the above is directly attributable to Taxi, with the exception of one music library, all of it? either through Taxi Forwards, collaborations with fellow members, or going to the Taxi Road Rally, which comes right up on November 3rd of this year. Uh, and even though that one music library was not a direct result of joining Taxi, I still credit Taxi indirectly, because without the returns and the feedback from Taxi's A&R team that forced me to up my game, my music wouldn't have been good enough to get signed by that library. So thanks, Best Henry. Well, thank you. Thanks for sending that letter. And after I read it about five times thinking about today's episode, I realized the first time I met Henry, he came to my office, sat in the chair, which is about five feet away from me right now. And we had a really nice chat. He was frustrated, but like I said in the email, very gentleman-like, and I really appreciated uh, his sense of humor. We're not dissimilar in the things that make us laugh, I think. Um, and he's a smart guy, and it's like, what do I have to do to make this work in so many words? And um, I probably, as I often do with frustrated members or new members in general, I say, stick to what you know, do that. The, the addendum to that is do what you do best in the beginning, and once you master that genre, then you move on to tackling other genres. So clearly you did that. So you weren't following your own advice so much as repeating what I told you, which, you know, good advice, but you outgrew the advice. So if I can find my right page, I wanna ask you some questions about this. There we go. So at what point was it that you realized that you could move beyond the, you were basically a jazz guy when I met you. You are a hardcore jazz aficionado, jazz player, and that was like your lane, right? Just jazz in the very yeah, beginning? Yeah, it was, and that's why I joined Taxi, because I mistakenly thought that I was going to uh, promote my jazz album through Taxi. But as I, as I subsequently found out, there aren't a lot of jazz listings. Uh, there are no listings that I have ever seen for jazz fusion. And I had um, I had um, contracted with CD Baby, and I probably clicked that that box that says yes, you can be my publisher. And right. so, uh, uh, the, you know, a, a warning you have uh, made many times, and I wasn't aware that I was doing.
doing that at the time. So I realized pretty quickly that there aren't any jazz listings. Um, I didn't know about Work For Hire. I had a lot of people play on the album. And uh, so there were a lot of reasons why I couldn't uh, submit any of my music on that album to uh, taxi listings. So at that time, there happened to be a lot of tension uh, listings. And so I started writing tension cues, and I really sucked at it and got, <laughs> got a lot of returns and got a lot of um, uh, feedback about how, how to make those cues better. And then, then I started getting forwards, and I started getting in a couple of libraries. And it was really Taxi that kind of encouraged me to, to branch out and try different things, because your listings are all across the board. You just had one uh, I thought was a real fun one for outer space exploration uh, right. music. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, why not give that a shot? And so, um, so, so you have, you've had orchestral stuff and uh, uh, pretty much everything that, that I wrote down on there, except for I don't, country comedy. That kind of came from my friend who I met at the rally, Joe Gothard. Right. And um, I don't know anything about country, uh, but Joe does. But I know about what makes uh, something funny musically, and that's a tuba or a bassoon. <laughs> So, so, so I let Joe do, do the country part, and then I would fill in with the. Uh, um, and, and strangely enough, uh, about three months ago, Joe and I both got a, a, an upfront sync fee for one of those country uh, comedy. Nice. I, I don't know what Joe was used on, but I guess I guess we'll both find out when we get our, our next royalty statement. Um. So when you started learning uh, tension, that was your first uh, new genre, and you were getting feedback from the screeners. What kind of feedback were they giving you? I mean, clearly they didn't just say not good enough. They must have told you what about it wasn't working or what needed improvement. Do you remember what? Yeah, those a lot of it was um, initially not reading the listing completely. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I learned at some point where you. Every word is important in a taxi listing, and so I would copy and paste them in, into a uh, text uh, thing, and then I would hold all the words like melodic motif. And some, some of my initial returns were, "Where's the melodic motif that the uh, the person was asking for?" Some of them were not enough dynamic variation. Um, some of them were uh, not enough build, um, and. Uh, that that was about it. You know, I I really ha had to learn about volume automation and how important that is in 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 well tension cues and uh, and uh, or and epic or orchestral cues, even outer space exploration. If you, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who picks the um, the the tracks that the example tracks, but if you listen to those tracks, which were really really good. Uh, the example tracks, there was a lot of dynamic variation and it got really loud and then it got really soft. And so uh, that was that was one of the things that, that, that I had to learn, not, not to be so linear. Um, and then one of the things that, that you say a lot is, is uh, you know, the uh, build up momentum. And right. so just, just to keep interest. And so some of my uh, not not drone tracks tended to drone on and there wasn't enough variation uh 
either melodically or with the instrumentation or with the uh, dynamics. It's definitely the hardest part of learning to do instrumental cues is how do you take basically an A section for 90 seconds and make it interesting and you have to restrain yourself as a composer. You can't show off and go, look, here's what I'm capable of doing because if you do that, your music would be the star versus the dialogue, which is you know, what they're after. Um, when you started doing the dramedy stuff, uh, did you have to go through like uh, changing? Did you have to upgrade your software? Did you have to get different samples than you already had? Um, when you listen to other dramedy cues, um, did you go, oh, I see what they're doing there, and then sit down and master each one of those sounds, or were you able to find them already in sound libraries and just basically plug them in without doing too much research? I, I tend to, uh, when I'm doing orchestral stuff, I tend to borrow um, from a lot of libraries. So if it's like violins, I'll use violins from three or four different libraries, depending. And because the uh, Los Angeles scoring strings, they're uh, recorded really up close and they can be a little harsh, but they have a lot of punch. And so, so I might put those in the background and use maybe strings from Symphobia or, or uh, Spitfire's Albion 1. And so what happens is all these libraries are, are recorded uh, and they all have a different sound. And it's like members, of, you know, string players in an orchestra. Every violin player has a different sound. So when you start combining or orchestras, you, you get a, a bigger variety of sound. And let's face it, uh, we're talking about dramedy, um, almost any uh, orchestral library that or string library that you buy has pizzicato strings. Right. And so, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, but I, I've always uh, been a big believer in getting more libraries, getting newer libraries. And I'm at the point now where I have so many sounds and so many sound libraries that um, something has to be really fantastic in order for me to go, wow, I want to buy that. And the last time that happened to me was, was either earlier this year uh, when uh, Heaviosity came out with Symphonic Destruction. And I said, I don't have anything like that. And so uh, I, uh, that was my most recent purchase. But it's been years since I've really uh, found anything where I, I went, uh, oh, i got to have that. Because I, I don't have any sound that sounds like that. It it must be fun for you. I mean, you've basically been, you know, in, in a jazz fusion lane for so much of your life. And now you're not only exploring new genres, but uh, mastering the home studio uh, and mastering all these different sounds. Where have you learned about combining sounds or composing better cues by adding more dynam dynamics? Or where have you learned about you know, how to properly articulate uh, strings that otherwise, like, as I always say, would be a 30-foot bow just going right. versus Thousands eh. and thousands of YouTube videos. Uh, you know, YouTube videos on orchestration, uh, how to make strings sound um, real, uh, and that's still always a struggle. Uh, like, for instance, when a, a, a string player plays up bow and down bow, I probably did that in reverse because I'm not a string player. <laughs> um, one way to duplicate that really is to hit 
I'm a keyboard player, so you hit the key twice. Well, that doesn't sound really authentic. So I do have a uh, library from Spitfire Audio. I think it's called Motions. And it's basically a library of uh, string players playing up bow and down bow. I know there's probably a name for that that I'm unaware of. And so that something like that adds tends to add realism uh, rather than hitting the same note twice. Uh, but thousands of YouTube videos on mixing, on reverb, on EQ, on, on compression, um, like, like I said, orchestration. There, there's so much information out there that it's if you want to learn it, you can learn it. And, you know, oh, go ahead. And, and I listen to classical music anyway. Um, that's my go-to listen. I've got about 500 albums uh, behind me, and they're mostly classical, some jazz. And so, so I know what classical music is supposed to sound like. And if, and if you're going to write in a genre, it really helps to have a background in that, in that genre of, of some sort. Um, I'm guessing that you weren't that studio literate when you started out although i do didn't you actually have the brecker brothers like come to your house or somebody uh, pretty famous in the jazz world come and overdub stuff on one yeah, of the jimmy Haslip. jimmy Haslip was one of the co-founders of the yellow jackets and he played on my album uh night owl shameless plug and um <laughs> also also had um paul perez he was a saxophone player from tower power so i i had some players on that album yeah, but I didn't want a uh, an album where people went. Oh, I just can't listen to that. You know, I wanted an album that that was melodic, and they were good enough musicians where where they could tone themselves down, mm -hmm. and not, and not just go crazy and uh, be one be one of these albums like look how many notes we can play in a second type of thing. <laughs> um, and some people really really like that. I I think partially uh, that. I think jazz musicians at some point became like music's all about me. It's not what the audience wants to hear. It's all about how good I am. I think it was that and the advent of rock and roll that, that, that kind of killed uh, jazz, at least in this country to some extent. Yeah, it's uh, definitely an underappreciated genre. I, we see that vis-a-vis -vis the listings we get uh, and, and frankly, Many of the jazz listings that we do get are used for like, you know, a scene in a restaurant, a fine dining restaurant with jazz playing in the background. Could be elevator music, could be hotel lobby music, could be the corporate lobby of a big, you know, high rise office building and somebody walks in, says, you know, I'm looking for XYZ Corporation. And you hear a little snippet of jazz, but not a lot of uh, other well what was the movie uh, with the jazz drummer kid uh, that was out like 10 years ago um, oh gosh had something Birdman right is that the I don't think I saw it oh okay anyway that was you know two hours of nothing but jazz it was pretty awesome the music was the star in that one um, so being that you're not a 25 year old I'm guessing um was it difficult because a lot of people get to the point where they join taxi in what i would call late middle age because their life is somewhat settled they, they've earned some money 
they're heading towards retirement, um, and they want to do something that enriches them again. And they used to get that feeling from music, but life got in the way and responsibility and family and job and mortgage, all that stuff. Then they come back to music, but they find that they don't have the technical skills because they didn't grow up with computers like the kids of today. So as a, as a late middle ager, senior, whatever you classify yourself as, was it hard to learn the technology um, in order to get where you are now? No. And, a simple answer. Okay, uh, I'll take yeah. that. Um, I'm, I'm still learning stuff now, you know, and, and you really, uh, you, you never stop learning. Yep, that's true. Because somebody's always figured out a way to do it even better or more time efficiently or right. something. Um, did you have a hard time adjusting your ears to today's sounds to become more contemporary? Uh, I always have said that if I went back to making records, everything would sound like 1975 to 1985 because that's the era that I worked a lot doing record stuff um i would have to retrain myself did you have to go through like a, a retraining of what modern melodies sound like what modern instruments sounds sound like or did you just get that through osmosis by listening a lot and watching the youtube videos yeah i think i think that, that's right i think i think the way you get better at anything especially music is is you listen and try to imitate and that's how i think a lot of people learn. I was classically trained, so I learned off of sheet music, and that's all I knew how to do was read sheet music until I heard, um, I think it was a Ramsey Lewis came out with In Crowd, and I thought, that's pretty cool. I want to learn that. Well, there wasn't any sheet music. There wasn't any YouTube, so I had to try to figure it out on the piano. And so, um, you know, and that's a whole different uh, art form than reading sheet music. Uh, that, that's like learning a language. Right, and, uh, and you know, you learn about chords, you learn about chord progressions, and you you learn what works and what doesn't work, and then you're able to make musical phrases that make sense. And it, and, and it is, it, it, it's a language, and so uh, uh, it's it's a lifetime of learning, really. And then uh, initially, I played uh, blues and boogie woogie piano because it's pretty easy. Um, it's three chords for the most part. And, uh, you know, or a boogie woogie bass in the left hand. And then I said, well, I'm going to try jazz. And, uh, man, that was like just hitting a wall constantly. There were just so many chords and so many keys. And I was like, you know, it's like I, I've, I've had jazz students and I, and I watch them. And it's fun at first. And then all of a sudden they, they realize, oh, crap, there's really a lot to learn. Here. There's so much to learn, and then they just kind of phase out. And I went through periods where I phased out. I just said, "And this is not for me." But you know, I take some time off, and then I I come back. And, and the one thing I did learn is uh, you're not going to learn, for the most part, you're not going to learn jazz from jazz theory books. At least I at least that was that was my case. Uh, I tended to learn a lot of jazz from fake books. You know, where all they show is the melody and then the chords, and then you got to figure out the chords. So, 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 so now I'm at a place. You know, when when I collaborate with uh, my friend Joe Gothard or or, or Dwayne uh, Tribune, I can't see the chat. Uh, I just got a black screen here, so 
I don't know if anyone's waving at me or not. So if you're out there, Dwayne, hi. Yeah, um, he, I saw Dwayne in the chat room before. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he threatened to come on. I, I know he did. He, um, <laughs> you know, I can send him a track, and I don't have to tell him what the chords are. And I, I don't have to say, this is what I'd like you to play. And he can send me a track, and it's kind of the same thing. When we listen to it, we go, oh, it's an E-flat. All we have to give each other is, is the beats per minute so we can sync up our, our, our uh, recording software, our DAWs, and uh, we're ready to go. So you, so you get to a point, you know, it's kind of like speaking. Like you and I are, are, are speaking, we're improvising, more mm -hmm. or less. Kind of like, like a jazz musician, or, or even a classical musician, like, uh, like Beethoven was considered one of the greatest improvisers of all time. And when you listen to his piano music, uh, uh, he was also considered one of the greatest uh, developers of the theme. You listen to his fifth symphony, da 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 da, and what he does just with those three notes is incredible. So uh, I'm not comparing myself to Beethoven, by the way. I, I just want to get that out there. <laughs> the dog or the composer. Uh, did you have to learn uh, how to simplify coming from the jazz and classical yeah. background, you know, to do things like? dramedy or, or the other aforementioned genres was that frustrating um because i know it's a natural tendency and i certainly understand this tendency for all musicians want to show off how good they are how accomplished they are who wouldn't you know a tennis player would want to do that a, a downhill skier whatever sport or or pursuit that you're involved in you if you strive to be the best you want to show off your level of competence or, or ability. So how hard was it to simplify and was it mentally hard for you? Was it depressing or did you feel like, oh man, I'm selling out. Uh, I need to make this so simple. Was, was it traumatic for you in any way? No, it's actually uh, a challenge to make something simple but keep it interesting. That's, that's not easy, you know, like, like attention cue. Um, I think if I'd been younger, if I'd been in my 20s, and that was a while ago, uh, I might have had more of a problem. I think as, as you get older, hopefully you gain some perspective, especially as a piano player. Uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing a song with Dwayne, who's a guitar player, um, I'm the guy in the background. And I accept that, and it's actually... He's doing the hard part. He has to come up with the melody. I just have, I just have to play some chords, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thing that was tough for me coming from a classical and jazz background was a lot of times uh, a classical piece will start out in a major key, and then it'll the middle section will be minor. It will be a there'll be a variation of the uh, the piece you heard in major, but it'll be in minor key. And so I submitted piano pieces that were like that, and, I, and they had told me, no, you got to keep it in one mood. So, I mean, there, there were things, uh, there were a lot of things I had to learn along the way, but uh, as, as far as, the, uh, you know, writing for TV, um, it's never about how great you are. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite, you know. Uh, Rachmaninoff or, or Franz Liszt would be horrible at writing for TV because they're all over the keyboard. And, and Art, Art Tatum, you know, one continuous riff. That's Art Tatum, considered the, the god of the piano. But um, now you can't do that for, for TV. And besides which, uh, when, when you 
do hear your music on TV, it's so compressed that you can barely hear it at all. You, you might go, oh, I think that's my track. Right. But I can barely hear it. So, no, you know, I, uh, you know, first of all, like I said, as a piano player, I'm, I'm used to playing second fiddle. There's a funny story about Dave Brubeck. Um, uh, Paul Desmond was a saxophone player. And Dave Brubeck used to be a trio. It was just him on the piano and then the drummer and the bass. And Paul uh, Desmond asked repeatedly, I'd like to be in your band, can I be in your band? And Dave Rubix kept saying no, because um, he knew as soon as Paul Desmond came in, Paul Desmond would be the lead guy, and he would be the second fiddle. But he finally relented and let uh, Paul Desmond in the band, and Paul Desmond came up with Take Five, which was their mega hit. Yep. So, you know, that was, it was... It, 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 it kind of showed you Dave's, Dave's mentality about not wanting to give up that number one spot, but turned out it was a good thing he did. Yeah, it's kind of like you exploring other genres. Uh, you know, sometimes you have that moment and that revelation hits you squarely in the face and you go, well, what the heck, let's try it. Um, let's talk about your studio a little bit more. Uh, what do you use for your computer, your monitors, that sort of stuff? Um, my monitors are um, KRK Rocket 88s, and um, I use a, a, an iMac. My keyboard, which my, my friends laughed at me about, is a Korg O1W, which I bought in 1990. Wow. 66 keys, and I'm a piano player, and they said, well, how come you don't have a weighted keyboard? And uh, how come you don't have an 88 key keyboard? What are you out of your mind? But I said, hey, it's good. it gets me placements. And so that's all I really care about. I'm using an old version of Logic. Uh, they're up to Logic 10 now, 10, I imagine, something. I'm using Logic 9. Hmm. And um, the reason I don't upgrade it is because everything works. And as soon as I upgrade it to Logic 10, I know half my libraries aren't going to work anymore. Or I'll have to, I'll have to like, go in and upgrade them or um, pay, pay for the newest version. Everything works. Now, I've got uh, a PC that is uh, like like a super PC. It was custom built. It's got like six solid state drives on it, and it's got Cubase on it. So so I've kind of kind of got the best best of both worlds. But I've used Logic for so long since 2000, when they were not owned by Apple, they were owned by a German company. That uh, I'm just you know you kind of stick with what you're familiar with. I think. Yeah, until the operating system uh, won't run, you know, when your computer says you got an OS upgrade waiting for you, and you go, oh, I should do that. That's the fatal click right there because now your your Logic 9 won't work on it. So, yeah, yeah. stick with it as long as you can. Yeah, I, I will. Um, when you mix, uh, have you had to develop different mixing chops uh, versus, you know, doing a, a jazz fusion record? Uh, mixing for TV, what have you noticed or learned in that regard? The main thing I do now that I used to not do is I EQ every track. And um, I EQ, I pretty much carve out the bass on every track except for the one track, which is usually the bass <laughs> in the track, or in an orchestral track, it would be the charts and the basses. I might um, I might take that last ten seconds and make that a, a YouTube clip right there, or a, um, 
an Instagram story or something with it. I, I roll off the, the bass and everything except the bass. It's actually bass. really, it's great advice, actually. But That kind of makes sense. But, you know, if you don't do that, you would be surprised at how many instruments that you think are playing in, in the upper range are actually spilling off into the bass range. And if you don't EQ that, that, that bass out, you're going to have a much muddier mix. And yeah. I also like, like to carve out, I think I learned this from you or, or Ronan, I like to carve our video that I saw, I don't know, it doesn't matter. I, um, I like to carve out it right, right in the mid range, about mm -hmm. three, three dB, three, four dB right there on almost everything. Yeah, and so it's it's made my my mixes uh, a lot uh, cleaner, and, and and I use a uh, Ozone Seven uh, on on the master bus, and that's just a great. I, I basically use Ozone Seven and an adaptive limiter, and that I really use on on the master bus, and Ozone Seven just does such a great job of taking your track and making everything uh, sound so much uh, better. It makes it makes the, the the drums and the percussion just crystal clear uh, I'm a big fan it's great that you've learned all this stuff um, people of all ages have a hard time there's a lot of stuff to learn so clearly you're passionate about it and that's what's driving you to keep learning about this stuff but um, I, I've met people that are great compositionally um, but they're just not adept at working in the studio and it's like you've moved forward on on all levels and and that's why you're having this success now um let's go back and talk about collaboration a bit um i'm sorry i'm, I'm forgetting your collaborators names joe gothard and uh dwayne tribune um, right. did, did you meet both of them through the Taxi Forum or at the Road Rally or the chat on Taxi TV? How did you, how did you meet them and how did the conversation start and move forward with, well, we should try collaborating? Joe, I, I met Joe at the first rally that I went to and um, you know how reluctant it was to go. You, you had to, uh, I only agreed when, when, when you offered to pick me up in your private jet. That's right. That's right. And, my, uh, my, my private jet that's 13 inches long and says United or Continental. I got it when I hit a million miles on Continental. It's as close it's as I'm... That we can all fit in that thing. <laughs> that's as close as I'm getting to a private jet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I met Joe, and uh, we hit it off instantly. And it's one of those things, you know. And um, he, was in a, he was in a library that was closely affiliated with the young and the restless mm -hmm. we, we mentioned tv shows i, I guess we yeah can. you can you just can't mention library names otherwise no, a I bunch can. of people will barrage them and so um so we started collaborating and we got a bunch of placements on the young and the restless they were smooth jazz and uh it, it just it just clicked and you know the thing is it's a great guy and uh he's very easy to get along with uh no ego problems and um we we just we just really got along well and then the next year he in introduced me to his friend Dwayne Dwayne Tribune and um same with with Dwayne I mean uh Dwayne Dwayne and I have done a 
think we did a, a, a 10 track album for, for a library. It was like uh, action orchestral stuff. And he's another guy who's, who's just great to work with. You, you send him a track and he sends it back and, and you go, yeah, that's what I was looking for. And what's also nice about it too is if, I, if I'm gonna submit something to a library that, that I did, I can send it to Dwayne and Joe or if I'm going to submit to a, to a taxi listing, I can submit it to Dwayne and Joe and go, what do you guys think? And I know that they're going to give me an honest opinion. And they're, they're likely to catch something that I might have missed. So, um, but yeah, I met both of them at the rally. And I went to the rally three years in a row before COVID hit. Right. And those three years got me into five libraries. And that was uh, because I met... Another, another taxi guy, John DuPont. And um, so that's three libraries. And then Joe got me into a library just this year. I'm like a leech. I just grab onto people and get me into this library. And then um, what was the other one? Oh yeah, I met, I met a, a library owner. And um, I got in, into his library. It took me, it took me two years. But uh, and I, where'd I, you meet him? It's also at the road rally? Yeah, so 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 five of the libraries that I'm in were because uh, uh, or are because I went to the rally for those three years. I and remember. Also, oh, go ahead. And, and, you know, you know, I just want to throw this out there too. It's not just that Dwayne and Joe are great collaborators; they're also really good friends. You know, I mean, we call each other. They live in Ohio. I live in California, uh, but we call each other. We talk about things other than music. So that, that's the other thing that I have benefited from by going to the rally is, uh, is I came across two really uh, great guys who have become good friends of mine. That's awesome. You know, I, I remember, I, I think I literally begged you to go to the road rally. You said, ah, I don't really like crowds that much. You know, I'm a homebody. And, and I mean, you live in a fairly, re a, a tiny little town, I think, what, 900 people or something in the town you live right. in? Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of out in the boondocks. Uh, I, I really, I could see that it was painful for you. You Part of you wanted to go because I knew that you believed me. I could see that in your eyes. That It's like, I can tell this guy's, you know, he's not charging anything to go to the road rally. Why would he lie to me about how great it is? But I could see that you were wrestling with it. I was so happy. I remember exactly where I was when I saw you, you know, like across the room, I think it was in the, the concourse, like outside of the ballroom in that general area. And I saw you, I was so thrilled that you were there. And I walked up to you and said something like, see, it's not so bad. And, and you said something like, yeah, so far, pretty good. You know, and uh, yeah. I mean, it, I get it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sociable. I'm not somebody who makes small talk well. I, I, you know, don't like going to parties and making small talk about, you know, how did the Dodgers do? It's just not my thing. So I completely understand our members that are reluctant to go to something, fly across country, walk into a hotel that's got a couple thousand musicians, people in their minds like, this is gonna be scary. It's gonna be competitive. I'm gonna feel like a wallflower and I'm gonna be kicking myself in the ass for coming to this thing. Why did I listen to Lasco or anybody about it? But you're living proof that it just 
the atmosphere at the rally is so collegial and so friendly and so warm and so supportive. And I know I, I'm not this like California woo-woo guy with rainbows and unicorns, but there is something very um, special going on there. So I was just thrilled to see that very early on in your first day at the rally, you, you saw that I wasn't lying, I wasn't exaggerating, and, and now you've been there three times and you made two great friends and great um, collaborators as well. So you're my, uh, maybe my toughest case actually, <laughs> but the result, end result was great. And I'm happy for that, uh, really happy, and, happy for and you. And the funny part of that is I grew up in LA. I, I spent the first 35 years of my life in LA. And, wow. but, but where I live now, you know, I, I'm a minute from a river and I got oak trees on my property. I got surrounded by hills. When I go back to LA, it's like a nightmare. And <laughs> I have really good friends in LA, you know, but I, I don't like, I don't like going down there. I, I don't like the traffic. I don't like the number of people. Uh, when you're, when you're used to, get used to the world and the kind of country life and you go down there, it's just, it's frightening. Yeah. But, I, I've lived here for, I don't know, at least 35 years now. And I grew up in a farm town in Illinois. So I came from where you are. Um, and and I like that. Like I like the country life. I, I loved as a kid walking home from school, stopping off at a friend's house and, you know, riding his horse for an hour or helping him milk cows or goats or something. That was very normal for me. And now I live in a city of God knows how many millions of people. And uh, it's funny, right before we did the show today, I dropped my wife off at LAX and I was driving back on the 405 heading back to the San Fernando Valley from uh, the west side of Los Angeles. Traffic was thick, bumper to bumper for about half the ride, it, you know, and it was... 1.30 in the afternoon. And all I could think of is I keep hearing about so many people don't want to quit working remotely now that COVID is more or less kind of over. Um, at least the scary part of it is over. And people are reluctant to go back to work. And a fair number of people are working remotely and offices are, or office buildings are struggling to stay rented. So if all those people are working remotely, even if it's only 10% of the population, why the hell does the 405 still have bumper to bumper to traffic, bumper to bumper traffic at 1.30 in the afternoon? I don't get it. Yeah. Um, it gets much worse at four o'clock. Yeah. Between four and seven, you might as well just forget it. Any day of the week. Uh, Sunday, I, I went to run some errands in the middle of the San Fernando Valley. I, I live in the Caneo Valley, which is like, as you're leaving LA and going toward um, Santa Barbara, that's where I live. Um, I live just on the outskirts of LA and, and driving into like White Oak and Ventura Boulevard, I hit traffic on Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Go figure. Um, let's talk about the business side of things uh, because that was all new to you as well as figuring out oh, yeah. libraries. And it sounds like you, you've done really, really well on, on a business level. But, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I find you very easy to talk to. You and I, you know, probably talk two or three times a year on the phone, probably spend half an hour to an hour um, talking. Was it hard for you to learn the language of the industry, to learn the mores of the industry, to know when 
it was the right time to ask a question of a new library owner that you're building a relationship versus am I asking too much too soon? Kind of like dating probably. Um, how did you learn those skills? Um, well, you know, I didn't even know how to sign a contract electronically. I, I had, when I got my first contract, the guy, you know, it said signature, and I had to ask him, I said, do you want me to sign it, or do you want me to just uh, uh, type out my name? He goes, no, you have to sign it. And I'm thinking, I didn't want to ask him, well, how do you do that? Right. <laughs> so, so I Googled it, and so that, that's how, how naive I was. But as far as dealing with library owners, you really learn every library owner is different. Some will, some will talk to you on the phone, uh, others I've never spoken to, uh, others I've done FaceTime with, and um, but the one thing you do have to know about most of them is that they're very busy, and you don't want to bother them with idle chit chat. And you can learn that the hard way. You know, uh, they they just don't have time. Uh, I learned with one library in particular. Uh, she's a she's the person who owns the library is a female and I learned like if I have a question or if there's some kind of a, a perceived issue between what she's saying and what I'm saying uh, I'm not gonna give her a couple of paragraphs I'm gonna mm -hmm. give her one sentence that's it you know I don't want her to see to see a wall of text and go you know holy crap I don't have time for this so uh, uh, one sentence and don't be a jerk, you know, and um, res respect the fact that um, their time is very valuable and uh, you're not the only person in their library. You know? That's the key right there. And again, musicians, creative people in general, um, are kind of born with a gene where they desire to be noticed. And, you know, they want to put their stuff out there. Do you like it? Because it's representative of what's in my soul, my creative soul. Um, and I think it's hard for a lot of musicians to realize that they, they get an offer, they sign the contract, and then immediately think, okay, this is it. My career is going to take off. And they don't understand that it, it's a, a marathon, not a sprint, as our members are, are prone to say very frequently. Um, and, and a lot of people don't really grasp the concept of this person has 10 hours a day of hard work and they're scrambling all the time. And what they're scrambling on is getting the music in their catalog licensed because that's how they make money. And if they're making money, you're making money. So they don't really have the time for chit chat. A lot of them probably wish they did because they probably like the people they sign, generally speaking, or for the most part. But it's good that you picked up on that, that you're, you're not the most important thing in their day. And was that a hard lesson to learn or did you figure it out without suffering the, the slings and arrows of a bad phone call or something? I, um, I kind of I learned the hard way. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I didn't realize I, w I was getting on, on the nerves of, of a particular li library owner. I thought I was being funny, but, <laughs> um, you know, 
I was just I was just wasting their wasting their time, and I didn't I didn't really write them that much, but it was still too much. I didn't think it was that much anyway. But for someone who's super busy, and to just get something, and it really doesn't affect um, our business relationship, or it doesn't affect anything. Um, so 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 I found out through a friend of mine who was also in the library, and this library owner said something like, uh, man, that, that, that Henry just doesn't stop, stop writing. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I haven't written that much. But it was a good lesson for me because, because it made me realize, you know, settle down. It just, uh, just send them your music and hope, hope that they like it, hope that they sign it. And, um, you know, let if, uh, if you have a question, most library owners publishers they have no problem uh, answering a sensible question yeah i've never i've never found that to be the case but uh don't be stupid i think a lot of people don't realize when they're being stupid um it doesn't sound like you did anything so horribly wrong under normal circumstances it wouldn't be but you're right the the industry all aspects of the entire entertainment industry kind of move at the speed of light and uh it's definitely an inter uh, an industry of one sentence emails almost in the form of like text language text ease going back and forth right and, and, and they also know that there are other people you can reach out to for those answers. You don't need the president of a library to answer those questions. You could reach out to your fellow members on the Taxi Forum. Um, you could watch Taxi TV. You could meet people in the chat room and, and ask those questions. Um, Sometimes, you know, I, I have not found that, like for instance, uh, there was a library owner who came out with a request, we need music like John Coltrane. Well, which John Coltrane? <laughs> he went through various phases. But I knew that this library owner, well, I shouldn't say I knew. Uh, I knew that this library owner, uh, you had to handle this one with kid gloves, kind of. And um, so I wrestled with asking her, well, which John Coltrane? But then I thought, well, what if she doesn't know? And what if she, what if she only knows John Coltrane from when he wasn't writing music that sounded like cacophony to me, mm -hmm. my opinion only. Um, but so, what I did was I just didn't I didn't ask her. I just thought sometimes it's better not to ask the question. And it was funny because I did I contacted Paul Cruteau, a saxophone player, and we we've done some work together. And um, and we met through the forums, mm -hmm. and he had the same dilemma. He was in the same library, and he had the same question. And I don't think either one of us ever bothered to, you know. We just said, "Well, we'll figure it out." And you know, I bet the library owner probably didn't know. Uh, I'll bet it was probably a case where. The, a music supervisor on a show said something like, yeah, yeah you know, something like Coltrane. And so right. it started out very vague and remained very vague and dropped in your lap as very vague, 
we see that all the time. And, and library owners that I know personally, that I know really well, they consider friends, they're intelligent people. They get a request from somebody who's like, yeah, you know, something like Fleetwood Mac. Well, you know, which era of Fleetwood Mac? Um, we push them hard to, so that the library owners give us really good references. Actually, right now we're working on trying to get library owners um, to give us examples from their libraries. Library owners don't want us to put an example, a reference out in the listing that makes their library identifiable because a lot of people see taxis listings that don't belong, they're not members. Um, and they would abuse that. They would say, oh, it's XYZ Library. Well, I'm going to reach out directly to them and say, oh, you need something that sounds like Fleetwood Mac, which would drive them crazy if they got a few hundred of those emails. So we're now starting to, we're just on the very front end of this, but starting to ask more of the companies. Um, they already do give us the references. We push them to give us the references rather than just dropping a John Coltrane in our lap and walking away. Like, what era of Coltrane, which style of Coltrane, um, or can you just send us something in your library that's in the ballpark of what you want, and then we'll put it in Dropbox and put a link in um, the listing so people can actually hear. I'm looking for stuff like this. I need more of it. So we're trying to solve that problem for you guys uh, to give you even better direction from an industry that often moves so quickly that they don't take the time to really think about the quality of the direction they're giving. So yeah, keep, let me know when you start to see uh, more of those Dropbox links show. It's gonna take a few months before it'll start happening, but let me know if, if we're on the right track. Um, I'm looking, because we, we've covered a lot of stuff I had in the questions. Oh, uh, have some libraries performed better for you than others? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what do you attribute that to? I don't know because I have never been on their side of the, of the fence. Um, but there are, I have gotten most of my placements through four libraries, four out of the 12. Uh, That's pretty good though. That's, you know, 30%, not bad. They're, they're really good libraries, you know, and, um, and the, and the library owners really, really hustle. I mean, I got, uh, on a, my most recent royalty statement, I got something from Germany that I knew came from this library, and it, it just said $300, Germany. And mm. then it, it mentioned track, but it didn't mention, usually if it's the United States, you'll see what TV show is. Sometimes you'll see the episode, but it just said Germany. So, so I'm thinking, uh, this is a library up in Canada. I'm thinking this guy is either doing a sub-publishing, or he's got contacts with all the all these uh, European countries. So that's that's one library. The library connected with the Young and the Rest is, is a, that's just one of the best libraries. The, there, there are four, and um, one I got I got in by collaborating with Dwayne, and that's uh, what the one we did uh, the 10-track album for. And one I got in uh, with Joe because I went to the rally and met him. And uh, the other two were uh, forwards, taxi forwards. Um, what's what's you, funny about taxi forward is 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 two things. I, you know, when you get your first taxi forward, almost inevitably, the question asked is, "How soon am I going to hear back?" 
Right. Uh, that's that's almost a given. I asked that question. Well, oh, I got my I got my first forward. When am I going to hear back? And uh, unfortunately, not to be the voice of doom, but the answer could be never. You know, um, Paul Cruteau uh, used to keep a spreadsheet, and he said of, of ninety nine forwards, um, it, it would take ninety nine forwards to get one into one library. And when I looked at, at, at my forwards, it was about the same. Now there are people out there that are going to have a much better, better percentage. But but the but the point is, I think people quit taxi for two reasons. One, nothing's happening. They're not getting any forwards. They're getting returns. They're just not good enough. Um, I'll never get this. Or it's not that they're not good enough. It's that taxi's a big scam, and right. they they they're out to hurt me. They're just out to take my money. <laughs> That's the one reason. Um, the other reason is you get forwards. But you never hear anything. You know, eventually you're going to hear something. And uh, I was determined because I was with Taxi when you guys in the '90s for a couple right. of years, and that's that's when we used to get listing results in an envelope with a stamp on it. Yep. And um, I was nowhere near as knowledgeable. As, as I am now, and even in 2013, I had a lot to learn, and I still do, honestly. So, but I, I stuck it up for two years back then and decided this is not doing anything for me. I'm, I got a couple of forwards, but I didn't hear anything. And um, so I think those are the two reasons um, why people quit. But I was determined to do the five-year thing. And just see what happens over a five-year period. This is all new to me now. You know, attention cues, I've never done those. Uh, half the stuff I had never done. So it took five years for me to get my first royalty check. And um, it was exactly five years, you know, just like I kept hearing. The five-year so, plan, yep. Yeah, the five-year plan. So so I forget what your question was, but but my, my point is, you know, stick it out for at least five years. And, uh, and and see what happens. I, th yeah. I think that I'm great grateful that you did. I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you listened to your fellow members who coined the phrase the five-year plan. I think it actually started out with uh, Matt Hurt, one of our all-time most successful members, and, and uh, probably learned Matt probably learned the business side of the library business better than anybody I've ever met in my life. The guy who just really sunk his teeth into it and frankly sometimes i think he knows more about the library business than the people on the business end of the libraries uh, and they respect him for that but your point is really well taken about um i, I just saw something on the forum this morning uh, i was having my coffee uh, as i often do uh, you know answering emails from bed in the morning and, and looking at the taxi forum to see if anything interesting is popping up there and i saw somebody saying i'm not renewing um, I've had a bunch of forwards and I haven't heard anything back. I just did a taxi TV episode about this recently, probably in the last 30 days. If people understood how the industry works, the actual dynamics of it, uh, and all the reasons that you could get a forward, it's not in the mind's eye of the musician. And I understand this. I'm not putting anybody down for it. My music is going to a person sitting at a desk 
that as soon as they hear that music, they're going to pick up the phone and call me and go, you are friggin' amazing. Right. To that's the case for most people, and I get that. Unfortunately, they don't know enough about the business side to know what you explained five minutes ago, which is they get hundreds of emails a day. They're out pitching all day long, um, and they get a batch of music from Taxi or wherever, and they look at it and go, that's great. Oh, good to know. And they drag it to a file on their desktop, and they'll get to it when they get to it. And it, unless there's a fire that needs to be put out with a certain genre, certain genre of music tomorrow for a particular show, they will get to it when they get to it. Now, a musician would rightfully ask, well, then why did they ask for it if they seem to be in no hurry? Well, because they realized that they were lacking in a particular genre in their catalog or the stuff they had sounded long in the tooth, like it was dated or old sounding samples um, and they needed to refresh, let's say, orchestral. Their stuff sounded like it was done 10 years ago and didn't sound as good as the stuff being done today. So for all those reasons, it'll happen when it happens, but I know that it's torture for people because finally somebody, meaning Taxi, has appreciated the quality of what they do and said, you know what, this is really good. We're gonna send it to the person that asked for it. And I know it's torture. It's like you know, putting a stake in front of a dog and saying, sit, wait for it, sit. It's tough. Did you freeze? Yeah, oh. <laughs> I thought your video froze. My story was that fascinating, eh? No, no, I was transfixed. <laughs> well, like like one forward, and, and I know you have a story where it was like five years or ten years between. Seven years, uh, yeah. Seven years, yeah, and the guy had quit. But one of the really good libraries I'm in, they I got an email from them, and they and they said, we want to sign these right away. And I'm thinking, when did, were these forwarded? And they were forwarded like eight months ago. And I thought, well, if they want them right away, well, how come they waited eight months to contact to contact me? But um, yeah, so sometimes it just takes time, but it's depressing. But sometimes you're just not going to hear back from from a forward, and uh, that's that's been my case. And so, um, but but the thing of it is, if if you stick with it long enough, and, and your music is good, and your your mixes are good, uh, you'll get somewhere, you know. But uh, I was my original plan was I'm going to make this happen without going to the rally because I don't want to go to the rally, but. You know, I wouldn't be in five libraries if I hadn't gone. I'd be in seven right now. And so, uh, yeah, go to, the, hey. go to the rally. Well, thank you for the plug. Uh, it is coming up on November 3rd through uh, 6th, 4th, is, yeah. It, it ends on Sunday, November 6th. If you've never been to a rally before, anybody watching this that's never been to one, I know it's hard to believe the guy that owns the company, but we put hundreds of hours into planning and executing it. Virtually everybody who's gone to multiple conventions of this sort anywhere in the industry will tell you that the Taxi Road Rally is the best organized, the best content, and the best networking that you'll find at any of the music con conventions. So don't believe me, ask other musicians that have been there um, because you are missing out on like 50% of the value of taxi by not going and, and 
you literally could walk up to the bar and realize you're standing next to somebody that was on a panel 20 minutes ago and say, hey, saw you on that panel. Can I ask you a follow-up question to something that Michael asked you in the ballroom? They're happy to answer it for you. They don't want you to cling on to them and shove your CD in their face, but just interact with them. You know, just be a person. Um, I had a question. Oh, um, another old paradigm in the industry, and I understand this one too, is like musicians feel like everybody is out to screw them, take advantage of them, make money off of them and not give any money to them. Um, what has your experience been as to the integrity and business practices of the library owners in the 12 libraries that you've been signed with? Have you found them to be at all skeezy or are they nice people and honest and forthright? What's the deal? As far as I know, yes, yes, they are. I, you know, I've never been a rock and roll band and, you know, been given $100,000 by uh, Sony to here make an album. And then, oh, by the way, when the album's done, they say, oh, by the way, you owe us $100,000. I've never been on that on that side of it. Uh, never. I have a, I, I know I have, I have musician friends of mine who are very bitter because um, uh, things like Spotify, uh, nobody gets paid. Uh, musicians don't get paid. Spotify gets paid. Um, but I think somebody famous rock and roll guy, he had millions and millions of millions of, of plays and I think he got $5,000 or something. And uh, hmm. so, but you know, things change. The, the internet has changed everything. It's put a lot of businesses out of business. And it's, uh, you know, uh, you, you can get photographs for free on the internet. You can get music for free on the internet, you know? And so musicians put a lot of work into, into crafting their music and then they'll see it on YouTube and they'll see it on somebody else's channel. And that other channel is now monetizing their music. And so, yeah, you, you can be angry and you can be bitter, but where's that gonna get you? It's not gonna get you anywhere. And so I decided that's why I decided to write music for TV. Because who's going to steal my music? It's all under dialogue. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so the internet changes stuff, and then you change with it. And and uh, so I have found my interactions with publishers and uh, library owners, they, they'll make an honest mistake. There have been times where... There was one instance that I'm aware of where Joe and I collaborated on, on the track and I got my royalty statement and it was a lot of money. It had been placed like four or five times on the island arrests and I was pretty happy with that until I talked with Joe and Joe said, Oh, wait a minute, that's a that's a track you did with me. It turns out he didn't he didn't get any money. So I said, Tough luck, Joe. You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, so 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 I had to send him a check, and then and then I, I, I wrote to the library owner, "Hey, you know, Joe is is a co-writer on this. He he didn't get uh, uh, he didn't get paid." And so they said, "Okay, we'll we'll fix that." So I think honest mistakes like that happen, but I don't think a library owner is out to screw you because 
you're making money for them and and they're making money for you so yeah, and in that case, uh, they still had to write, you know, let's say it was a $5,000 check. They still had to write the $5,000 check. It just wasn't split equally among the two writers. So right, they weren't, exactly. it was just literally a clerical error. And you're right, that yeah. stuff happens. Um, I want, want to go back to something you said before that you and I think Pauli Croteau, Croteau uh, mentioned 99 forwards before you had a placement. I, I want to go on record as saying, I don't get upset by people keeping a tally, but I don't believe that it's an accurate benchmark to say, well, it takes about this many forwards. Because some people go, well, you know, so far I've had three forwards. It's going to be a lifetime before I get 99 to get one thing signed. And what are the odds that one thing making me money? I don't think that it's a function of volume so much as because you could uh, same thing could be said for placements as well you could get forwarded for um death metal you could be the world's greatest death metal person and, and make a ton of great library style death metal cues it doesn't get requested very often so therefore even though you've been forwarded a lot and the libraries have signed all of your death metal you're not going to get many placements because not too many shows are calling up going hey you got any death metal so I find that the people who, when they figure out, okay, <clears throat> this is what is frequently asked for, and that's a genre that I think I can tackle and do well on, they will start to get forwards and get deal offers sooner because they made a strategic decision and laid out a plan. And I'm guessing, uh, you mentioned a couple, a few times now, the library that's gotten your stuff on the young and restless. I know um, people involved in that show, and I know that a lot of that show, it's a soap opera for those of you who don't know, one of the few remaining, if not the only remaining soap opera. Um, there's a place where people on the show congregate, like a dinner club or something. Uh, you know, let's say it's a bar, kind of a swanky bar. And that swanky bar would probably have solo pian solo jazz piano or maybe um, smooth jazz playing in the background as the glasses are clinking and the voices are murmuring. So they have a, a daily broadcast and probably 60, 70% of the episodes have their cast or their characters going to that bar or that restaurant over and over again so they need the same kind of music but they don't want to repeat the same five cues that they used last week so it creates right. a wealth of opportunity for folks like you that are in that right. catalog now i remember they changed up the show several years ago and they went from kind of a i can't remember if they went from like a jazzy they went from smooth jazz to edm show that's right Yep. So all of a sudden, all the jazz people, like, what's happening? I'm not getting any action through this library. I'm not getting any placements on yeah. the show. Well, they changed the club, and, and the music played in the club to change with the times. Exactly. And so my question to you is, and this is, would should be um, inform other people as to whether or not to make a, a similar move. Did you learn EDM chill at that time so that you could still take advantage of that relationship with that library that has super strong relationship with that show. Did you learn how to make EDM chill at that point in time? I tried. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I did get some some EDM chill placements, but I wasn't. I didn't think I was that good at it. Um, Joe went on to really delve into EDM chill, and and I I, I credit him for that. I was there were two other libraries that were asking for a lot of a lot of music, and uh, especially orchestral action orchestral music, mm-hmm. and that's very uh, labor intensive for me. You know, you're talking about 40, 50 tracks, um, and uh, and then you got to EQ everything and make it all sound good and, and huge. And um, so I kind of drifted away from the Young and the Restless. I did get some EDM chill placements, but but it shows you the vagaries of the industry. Right. Um, for the for the you know all of a sudden we, Joe and I were getting a lot of smooth jazz placements, and uh, uh, I think. Uh, Dwayne and Joe and I got some placements, three of us, and um, and I worked. Well, it, it doesn't matter. So they specifically said we don't want saxophone because it sounds interferes with the human voice. Mm-hmm. But there was a, a time where they had a character, a character who was a jazz aficionado. So they were asking for like, can, can, can you give us? Miles Davis sounding stuff, or give us some of this, and so so Paul and I were able to collaborate, and um, that was fun. But what happened tragically was that character died in real life. Wow! So yeah, he, he died, and um, that that was the end of classic jazz. And then right afterwards, I think they they got a new produ- executive producer, and he decided. Show's too old, too antiquated. You know the, the restaurant. We're going to have upscale clubs, and we're going to have EDM chill. And so, uh, like I said, I gave it a shot. Joe went on, and Joe has gotten quite a few few placements. He inundated himself in it. He listened to it constantly, and got got a feel for it. And uh, I just went off and did, did a bunch of orchestral uh, music. But now they're back. They're actually uh, about. A month or so ago, they said we're looking for jazz with kind of hip hop beats. So that's that. That's more in the line of, of what I do and what uh, I think Joe and, and, and Dwayne. I don't want to speak for them, but I, I guess I will anyway. Um, that's that's more the line line of, of what we're accustomed to doing. Well, I think that show. <laughs> That show changing the venue uh, that the actors hung out in, and the fact that the the actor literally died in real life, um, killed the whole saxophone thing. It just goes to show why it's important not to fall in love with just one library or one publisher that may be doing, wow, they're my publisher. They're doing great for me. I'm getting all kinds of placements. Something as sadly coincidental as an actor dying that the, they do have characters that have a certain musical vibe, and if that character in real life dies, that musical vibe leaves the show, and all of a sudden, that library isn't getting any placements. So that's why you should be in twelve libraries or fifteen or twenty, because they're all going to have their peaks and their valleys. And spread yeah. your bets by getting in a lot of them. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I'm going to open this up to questions, see if 
Yeah, I had a couple others, but you know, people are asking good questions in the chat. We've still got about 15 minutes left to go, or 14 minutes left to go. So you guys in the chat, uh, if you would please, I'm sorry I haven't taken your questions till now, please type the word QUESTION in all caps so it's easy for me to spot it in the chat room and let's ask Henry some questions. And while I'm waiting for that stuff to pop in, um, who did I just say? Oh, Darren Moss from Australia is in the chat room. Haven't seen a lot of Darren since the days of the quarantine happy hour. So welcome back, Darren. Always great to see you. It's water, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. It's really hot here, too. <sighs> no air conditioning? Yeah, I got a window AC, but um, it's not helping much. Got it. Hey, Darren. By the way, uh, people have been begging me or, or cajoling me for months now. Uh, watch the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I got to say, uh, my wife and I binged it over a period of a couple of weeks. Great show, very heartwarming, very watchable, and you'll love the characters. So there's that. Okay, question from Kelly Kotera. Uh, question for Henry. Was it five years before you got your first cue? I, I, it was five years. I'm not sure what she means by cue. I think um, she means placement, probably. Uh, it was five years before I got my first royalty check. And okay. royalty checks typically, there's a six month lag. If it's a if it's a show that uh, airs in the United States, if it's a show that airs in Europe, it could be a year, it could be three years or four years before you see any money from that. But in the United States, it's typically six months. So the show airs six months later, you get your royalty statement. So it was five years. Uh, that uh, before I got my, my first royalty check. Okay. And it was for Catfish. A lot of our members have gotten nice checks from Catfish because the show airs all over the world and it's on constant repeat. It's exactly. Um, <laughs> question from Nancy Collell. Henry seems to be very no-nonsense. What finally made you realize that taxi is not nonsense? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure what that what that question even means. Okay. Well, if you don't know, you don't I know. Think, I, I was going to give myself five years regardless, and uh, once I started getting feedback from from the screeners, and I got a lot of returns when I started. You know. Um, that's that's just the honest truth. And then when I, uh, I think one of the inclinations when you start is, oh, I got this great track. It's not exactly what they're asking for, <laughs> but the track is so great that I'm going to go ahead and submit it because they're just going to love it. They're going to fall all, all over themselves. And I did some of that, and that never works. You have to write specific, specifically for that track. Usually, I'm not. You know, now if if it's a if it's a tension listing and you've got a whole bunch of tension cues and you've narrowed it down you, you highlighted all the words in that listing uh, and you say yeah all these boxes check um, but but a lot of times you're better off listening to the example tracks and trying to write something that sounds like one of the example tracks uh, so uh, I have no idea if that answers your question but 
Oh, oh yeah. So, so I got a lot of returns, but with those returns came a lot of constructive criticism that helped me understand. Oh, this is what I have to do. This is how this is how I can make better better cues, you know. And so, for five bucks, you're getting somebody who might be a library owner, who might be a music supervisor, who might be a film editor. These are people who have day jobs. Uh, I, I, for the most part, I think they're not just tax, full-time taxi cleaners, and there may be some that are. I don't know, but these are people who are in the industry. They know what they're talking about, and for five bucks, you're getting their feedback, which is a bargain. So, so little by little, if if you can take the criticism and and appreciate it for what it is, that oh, this person is is just. Uh, uh, very negative, or, or or they're too critical, and I'm not saying that that I've had returns that, that I uh, that I didn't agree with. I have, and but sometimes you just got to suck it up, and and it really the returns prepare you for real life with a library when they say we're looking for this, and you send them something, you write something, and you think it's pretty good, and you send it to them, and the email comes back and it says rejected, and that's all it says. Uh, wow. You know, unlike unlike a uh, taxi scooter that says here's what you need to do to improve, or here's where you failed, uh, and they rarely use that word, but but I do. Um, you you will just get an email that says rejected, and then when you look at it, where the text is, it'll say this is a send only email. And so <laughs> you don't you don't really know well, what what right. did I do? Why did you reject it? You'll never know. Yeah, you'll never know. And the worst thing you can do is then contact that library owner and say, "How come you rejected my uh, my my, uh, my track? I thought it sounded great." And that library owner is going to go next. You're, yeah. you're done. Yep. Literally, and people that don't know the drill would find that harsh and hard to believe, but it's true. And they're not being harsh. They're just that busy that they don't have an extra five minutes, because that five minutes, it, it, there's a multiplier effect. It's not just you taking five minutes, it's 20 people or 50 people in a day all needing five minutes. So basically, okay, I can see where this is going. This person's gonna you know, ask me for, why did you reject this three times a month? Yeah, they won't reach out to you anymore. Here's a question from, where to go? Uh, oh, Marion Laird wants to know: Do you have a favorite genre that you write in? Um, I used to, but I, I don't anymore. Um, like that that space exploration thing. Yeah. I've never done anything like that, but that but that was a blast uh, to do. I, I just you know whatever I'm working on now is fun. You know, uh, I. I Doing the orchestral stuff, but it, like I said, it it, it can really uh, it can really wear you out if you do a lot of them. And and I was doing a lot of them for a while, and and, and I did go through a burnout phase afterwards, where I just said, I, I, I don't want to get anywhere near music, and uh, that that did happen. But um, no, I I, I got to say that if if I'm working on a piece of music. If it's not a complete piece of crap, and sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes you, sometimes it just happens, and it's like 
you know, half an hour later, an hour later, you go, yeah, I really like that. And sometimes it's like two or three days and you go, this is going nowhere. And then you just got to move on. So in, the, in those cases, you know, it's, it's funny. So sometimes it just comes to you and other times it's a struggle. And, uh, and, and, then, and then you just say, I'm going to stop. I'm going to watch some YouTube videos and uh, come back to this, come back to this tomorrow. But usually whatever it is I'm working on, I'm having a good time. Um, speaking of struggling, Lamar Franklin asked you, uh, did you ever struggle with exclusive deals? Uh, why would why would I struggle with that? I think he means, uh, are you opposed to signing stuff exclusively oh. versus sign, oh. do you prefer exclusive or non-exclusive, I guess? Is Most of my are exclusive these days. I think um, I, the three libraries that I was in that we were, were non-exclusive are now, two of them are now exclusive. So uh, I, I have no problem with the library being exclusive, you know. If they, if they want to sign my music, if they want to promote my music, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, it's better than it's sitting in my computer. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, here's one from David Berube. Uh, Henry, where did you learn the most? Where did you learn uh, the most about the business side of the music? The I, I think David is French or French Canadian, so I'm, I'm translating a little bit here. <laughs> Sorry, David. Uh, where did you learn the most about the business side of the placement aspect of the music industry? Was it through the ta through Taxi TV, the Road Rally? Um, any tips on where people should go to learn about the business side of the music library business? Uh, I learned the most from dealing with libraries and, and library owners, you know. Um, the business side is, is not only uh, learning about contracts, and most contracts are 50-50 split. And um, there's one library, and you know what this library is, or what this library is, and they wanted to sign, they wanted me to do 50 tracks for them, 5 -0. Wow. And, um, and so I said, okay. And they were offering a 50-50, and that was what they offered, that's what they said to you when, when, when you put forth the taxi listing. And, but their website was so convoluted that it, my hair was blonde when I started to upload my first song, and now, and by the time I was done, it was this color. It took that long to upload one song, and then wow. they said, "Oh, by the way, we're not fifty-fifty anymore. We're sixty-forty." And With, in their favor, yeah, no, yeah, the library is taking sixty, and I thought, uh, I don't want anything to do to do with this library. So the, the other part of the business is learning about uh, alt versions. I remember when, when the first library I was in, they said, okay, we want you to do a 30 second sting. We want a 45 minute version. We want a full version. We want a no melody version. We want a bass and drums. We want a no drums. We want this. And I thought, man, that sounds like a lot of work, you know, but that's what they want. And so you're not giving them one track, you're giving them six tracks. And for all of you know, the no melody version might be the one the music supervisor uses because it doesn't it interferes the least with dialogue 
So, I would so, place my bet on, on what you just said. Yeah, so so that's part of the business part of it too, is is that if if you send a library a track, most likely they're gonna want six or seven versions of that track. And that only benefits you. Yeah, it does. It gives you more possibilities. Absolutely. You know, a, a funny thing that we've got to end this because we're, yeah, we're about a minute away from being over. But um, something that I hear all the time from taxi members and other friends of mine on, on the film and TV side of the music business is that a TV commercial will say, I love this song. We want to license this song, $20,000, $50,000, dollars whatever, for a big TV commercial. And I go, wow, I'm shocked that they wanted that song. Well, they did want the song, but they only used four vocal words out of it. The whole rest of the commercial is instrumental, and they just used the part of the chorus that said, going out to have fun. <laughs> and, and, and the whole rest of the song, you know, whatever was used for that 30-second slice of time was instrumental with uh, other than, you know, when they all pile out of the car and you hear going out to have a good time or whatever. So I, I think instrumental music, frankly, is just easier to use because lyrics don't get in the way of the story or the dialogue that the actors uh, are portraying. Um, and most, most libraries who ask for songs with lyrics will ask for an instrumental version. Right, and that's and the reason they do is so the editor can cut between the instrumental version right. and that one little line with we're going out to have some fun. Anyway, um, can, would you say that 5% of 100,000 submissions are successful? Um, Ken, that's a whole other show. Sorry, buddy. Uh, anyway, Henry, I always enjoy talking to you. You're about as real as it gets. That's what I love about you is you um, you are. You're real. You're grounded. No sugarcoating it. You're not a taxi fanboy. You don't come on and do these things because you're trying to you know, make taxi look good. Uh, you're not afraid to tell me if there's something we're getting wrong. You would tell me that as well. So... Thank you, as always, for your honesty, your friendship, um, and, and your keen observations. I think people should really listen to what you have to say because you absolutely don't sugarcoat anything. So I hope I will see you at the Road Rally. As I promised, we are going to make absolutely best efforts to uh, avoid COVID, although, uh, you know, COVID is still out there. I've had so many friends in the last 30 to 45 days that have gotten it. Basically, it's ranged from a cold, well, asymptomatic. <laughs> My seven-year-old granddaughter, I said, do you have COVID, Molly? She goes, yeah, but I'm asymptomatic. <laughs> the fact that a seven-year-old even knows what asymptomatic is was wow. sadly comical to me. Um, anyway, um, we're doing stuff like using a fourth section of the ballroom this year so we can spread the seating out in the ballroom quite a bit more. Um, what else? We're going to try and eliminate the long waiting line for registration on Thursday night so we don't get hundreds of people bunched up in the zigzag line room, things like that. So, uh, And we will have masks and we will have sanitizer. So come to the road rally. I, I would be sad if you weren't there. Um, and we will keep everybody apprised as to any other COVID things that we're doing. Um, but thank you. I, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to write me that email. And I'm proud of you for just 
getting what so many other people don't get and the fact that you've stayed the course and it's working it's got to be rewarding you know it it may not be a hit record but there's a certain gratification that's got to come from hearing your music on tv so congratulations and with that i bid you adieu um i will see all of you thank you to all of you in the chat room good evening i will see all of you back here next week i had a really good idea for a show next week oh i want to go very in depth on the whole subject of people not realizing that they've signed a publishing deal when they check that box with cd baby tunecore any of those companies they're all fine companies nobody's doing anything untoward or illegitimate or illegal but if you check that box, you have signed either a publishing agreement or a publishing admin agreement. And we are starting to hear more and more complaints. We had one the other day from a library that said 60%, 60% of the music that we forwarded to them was already signed to a deal. And the members didn't realize it. And it's a library, somebody that you know pretty well, I think another level-headed person not prone to being whiny or complainy and finally just said what do i do we lost another taxi client about five six weeks ago another library said you know what i'm going to pass on running listings with you guys for a while it's just too exhausting to keep reaching out to these people and they go oh yeah i forgot that i signed that so next week i want to do a whole show about that so i will see you right back here next week same time same station for another exciting episode of taxi tv live bye bye thank you henry yeah.